Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Talent of FinTech chapter, and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Richard Davis, the CEO at Alica Bank. Alica Bank is dedicated to serving and supporting small and medium businesses and empowering them to succeed. Richard is here to share how he walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more he wants done. Richard, it's great to finally have this conversation with you. It's great to be here. Yeah, really excited. So let's start things off. Tell us about Alica Bank and winning a lot of rewards recently. So tell us all about that. Yeah, so Alica Bank, we're a fairly new bank. Our first loan was made actually in March of 2020. So very much born into COVID. We exist only to serve what we call established small businesses, tend to have 10 plus staff in the business. And we look to provide a combination of both technology and human support to those, those businesses across the full range of products you expect from a bank. And we have been humbled to win some awards recently, so slightly lost track, to be honest, which is, is very humbling. So yeah, we, we, we both finance industry, uh, sort of awards such as Business Money Facts or the British Bank Awards, where we've, we've taken the sort of commercial lender award, and also FinTech Awards, where I guess recently we've taken scale up of the year at the London FinTech Week, and actually just yesterday, Paytech UK Company of the Year. So yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been great, actually. I feel kind of quite blown away by it all. <laughs> wow, hot off the press, Paytech yesterday, I didn't yeah. realise. Well, well, maybe, maybe two days ago now. Congratulations. Uh, now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And isn't that wonderful, getting the recognition that you deserve for all the amazing work that's been happening? Because it takes time to get that recognition. Yeah, I think what is great is really for all of our colleagues here, because I think it's one of the things where people feel really, I think, pleased and proud to see that external. Listen, internally, you may think you're doing some good things. There's always problems and those things you'd love to get better at. But then if you can see that, just range of awards coming through both uh, so kind of lending industry and fintech industry, it gives people kind of quite a boost. And we've also had um, quite a few of the colleagues here nominated for awards specifically themselves, which I think is particularly great. So in fact, again, at the Paytech Awards, my chief technology officer, Ravni Shah, she, she won Woman of the Year, which is great. And at the London Fintech Awards, Nida Sattar, uh, my head of payments product, she won highly commended for rising uh, star in the fintech industry. Uh, and we've had many others I, I can name sort of I don't know, in the lending awards, you have an underwriter or a business development colleague. So I think it's great to have that recognition, both of people's efforts collectively and also individually, I think it gives people a real lift. Mm. And I think that really is so powerful. It's not just the business and what you do for the business, it's the people and mm. how they're growing their careers. And I mean, that's, that's everything that I love to talk about. But also, I think there's something that we must recognize, and that's the mission and some of the successes of that. I'd love for you to share that with us. Yes, let me start with sort of our belief statement, which is that established SMEs are critical to the UK economy and society. It's about a third of our, our economy and jobs. And yet we think the incumbent banks have been increasingly pulling back and, and, it, and it's, it's become impersonal, inconvenient and overpriced. So I think the thing that makes us unique is this is all we do. Most banks do consumer and micro business and established business and corporate and fintechs generally do consumer. 
the only thing we do, the only reason we exist is to help these established businesses to, to succeed, to grow. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what drives me personally, is a real passion for that, that segment that's too often ignored, but is, is really important to our society and trying to make that, uh, the lives of those business owners a lot better. So yeah, we, we, I'd say we are quite, quite mission-driven, and I think that ability to say that this is all we do makes us really stand out for, for caring ultimately about mm. the, the, this type of business. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting how you said that often this has been overlooked, but this is your focus, and yeah. you're able to really make an impact and impression on that. Now, you personally, during your career, yeah. you've worked at some pretty big names mm. in this space. What I'd love to hear more about is what makes the culture and environment here at Alica so unique? Yeah, um, so I have words. I mean, career-wise, I've done both big existing finance companies like HSBC and Barclays, and some of the fintechs, I guess some of the first generation of successful fintechs such as Oak North and, and Revolut. I think across that, you look at the cultures, they are pretty different. You've got an HPC, which is a, is a Goliath with a quarter of a million people and quite international, I'd say quite slow moving, quite risk averse versus a Revolut that's incredibly tech driven, incredibly high IQ people there. Also, I think it's for no secret, some friction in the culture as well. So it's very much a get things done, sort of even this is a bit of friction culture. So I've seen kind of a range of different firms and different environments. And I guess with your own firm, you get that chance to sort of try and hopefully settle on some of the ingredients you most like. And I think that's done collectively. So yes, you've got your view, but I'm a big fan of things also happening somewhat more organically, culture-wise, from people you hire. So I, I think it is massively about who you hire and how, how they behave. So, I mean, at Alica, we're about 400 colleagues now. Took over a CEO when we were about 90. So it's, it's grown quite a bit. But I think hopefully we've managed to keep some common attributes, particularly around how, A, people care, and that can be caring both about customer, but also caring about business and caring about colleagues. And I think what goes with that is then being happy to help New, new colleagues being open and welcoming, which certainly seems to have held as we've scaled. And despite both having been fully remote for a while and then gone back to, to hybrid, and we've opened a subsidiary in India, and I was in India a couple of weeks ago, and got, I always get the same sort of words back from, from new joiners about yeah, that sort of openness, being very welcomed on board by people. Despite people being busy, they're happy to, to help, and a desire to kind of progress collaboratively which kind of is important because, yeah, I think those ingredients actually at the core of both success with customers, success commercially, and also an inclusive culture. Yeah, sort of happy with those core aspects. What we've been doing kind of on inclusivity more specifically, and, and quite a bit has been, I guess, organic and having the sort of a open environment for people. What we, we've been doing quite a bit more, more recently this year to try and build on that and to more deliberately put out programs of activity that people can participate in and open up into. So, for example, we've put quite a focus on well-being, done quite a few sessions both internally and with also some external providers. We've got a diversity and belonging group that's been running some, some great sessions, particularly in the last month, both in person and remotely, sort of branded sort of time to talk, but uh, talking about sort of often some things that can be quite tricky for people, so uh, imposter syndrome or from a, a different angle, parenting a, a non-binary child, or uh, so some quite interesting topics, right, that are often not really spoken about too much in the workplace and trying to surface those. And I was at one last Thursday 
court uh, court behalf of that. And it, 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 it was great to see sort of the openness of the colleagues that were talking, but also great to see the attendance where we had, I think each of these sessions, the attendance has been huge, actually. So trying to have a group of our colleagues organise the programme activities that then voluntary people turn up to, but seeing some really great participation. Yeah, what a great testament to your culture and environment that you're committed to doing those things. And brilliant that people feel safe to share what they're going mm. through. Mm. That's not something that you can force. That's something you have to work super hard on to, to let, it, let it become um, more naturally. I mean, it's brilliant to hear that. And, and great that you've got the, the groups both online as well as face-to-face. -face. The reason why I love to talk about this is because we do have a long way to go in the industry in general on 100%. this. But we have come away. So I wanted just to hear your thoughts on how important you think championing inclusion in the workplace is and how far we have come as an industry. Yeah, I think I actually sort of liken it a little bit to the core purpose of the company, which is this sort of slightly ignored and forgotten about segment of society that's our client base that um, we, we, we work to champion. I, I think the same has been true, sadly, in not just the UK, actually many, many countries, but certainly in the UK where there's been clearly across many attributes, I guess, classically uh, white elder males have been dominant in uh, most aspects of business right now. I think something that's changing but has still got quite some way to go. And I, I mean, personally, I kind of I always get there's something I don't know quite where it comes from, but deep within me about fairness of treatment of people and meritocratic people treatment of people that can get my goat if it's not if it's not working well. So, yeah, I, I sort of I often try to think where does it come from. I mean, I think when it comes to actually say gender diversity, I, I, there's there's some family history of my mom who kind of got sort of turned off doing, first of all, uh, going to a really top university to do a certain degree by her teachers at school at times, said, oh, it's not for, not for women, dear. Oh, and then, again, career-wise, told, oh, she's going to be a teacher, not... Um, and nothing... But teacher was an amazing professional, right, and she did a great job in it, but I think she always sort of told me stories in my child of kind of being slightly uh, wished that the world would be more open. So maybe, maybe there's something in that, and there's certainly some inherent just, yeah, desire for things to be meritocratic and give people opportunity and see how they, they take it that, uh, that, that sort of drives me. I think things and how things are progressing. I started work, what, 20 years ago. I think there has been quite a bit of progress in that time frame, albeit probably still quite a long way to go. I'm not a big believer of sort of, sort of change the part of the world you, you kind of can change, right? And certainly so for me, that's been about Alica. And so if I kind of look back to when I joined, pick a couple of dimensions arbitrarily, so gender diversity and ethnic diversity. So when I joined, we had one lady on the ESCO and no ethnic diversity. As it stands, I think we, I'm right in saying we're at 20% ethnic diversity and half are female. So that's moved a fair way, and, and, and companies overall as well significantly increased um, uh, representation on both fronts um, over the last three years. So progress there, and I, yeah, it, I think hopefully similar on, on other dimensions of diversity as well, where we don't necessarily collect all the statistics. But, yeah, I'm a big believer in how do you get, yeah, diverse talent? How do you make places that are inclusive to work at? And, and probably a big believer in that being, to your point, not just about top-down. It's, it's, it's how do you create the environment where more bottom-up people can help create that environment? Because that's far more sustainable than just yeah. top-down edicts or, or sort of singular interventions. I totally agree. Like, I'm a big believer that if everybody is involved in the inclusion movement and that everyone holds themselves accountable, yeah. 
then you're far less likely for there to be discrimination that, that gets anywhere, that, that gets far at all, because yeah. it will be stopped at source because you've got so many allies yeah, yeah. being allies to, to one another constantly and continually. I'd love to hear how you've made such a change within that Exco board, because there'll be people listening who want to make a change. They just don't know what the first thing to do is. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, blunt, right? So you're CEO, it's your team. Who else is there to look at as to the diversity of the team that reports to you? It, it's you and you alone, right? Your, your, your job. So if you've got a position where, yeah, and this applies to any team, right? If you're line manager of a team and you don't think it's appropriately representative, then it's up to you that when, I'm not saying go fire everyone and rehire tomorrow, but when you are presented with opportunities to hire, I mean, do things like, make sure shortlists are diverse. It's one of the things that's actually very easy to do, but is often rarely done, right? Because, yeah, often there is, uh, in, in the industry, less percentage of people from some of these backgrounds. And easiest thing can be just to have a three-person shortlist that's not diverse. I'm not necessarily one for saying you must say, I mean, this role I'm only going to target, whatever. There is a place for that sometimes, I think, but. I just think if, you, if, if over a period of time you're likely to have some change in the, the team, appointment's going to come up, then just make sure every time you are considering diverse candidates. And I think the other thing is have some openness to take a bit of risk on people sometimes. I think probably, probably my best example of that is my CTO, Ravni, I mentioned, who'd won that award recently where... So she was lead engineer when, when I joined and sort of a couple of levels down in the the reporting structure for myself. I wanted to make quite a change in the, the technology strategy, which did involve some change in the, the leadership team. And I wanted to give a more focus on in-house engineering and got to know Ravni somewhat, found she was brilliant technically. And had she ever done a large-scale leadership job? No, but first of all, promoted her to VP engineering, which seemed to go very well with just the software side and then added more components into it, such as platform engineering and data engineering, and made her CTO. And so I think there's that sort of chance to take risk on people. But if you just go, oh, well, they haven't already managed 100 people, I'm not going to give them the job, right? You are going to narrow your pool quite a lot. So I think the fact she's now getting all this external recognition shows she's brilliant, right? She's, she's a great CTO. And I'm so happy that that's uh, something I could have helped facilitate in some way. Mm. That's truly inspirational that you've really walked your own talk with that because there are so many people who will overlook somebody already in their team because, as you say, they haven't managed 100 people before when actually they've got the skill set. They just need the advocacy and the opportunity, the talent's yeah. there. So I really thank you for sharing those examples that will really help people. Takes me to my final question. So this phrase, walk the talk, is something that mm. I'm... Anyone who knows me, I'm obsessed yeah. with this. You know, it's about how do we actually turn that desire into action? And everyone listening to this, the, the audience is wide, but I always like to ask my final question that's directed really to that audience, mm. to what more can they do? So from your perspective, what more would you like to see for genuine workplace inclusion? I, th I would love to see more people actually taking action, as in, I sort of paraphrased it earlier, but I think it's a candy phrase about being the change you want to see in your environment. And yeah, you can complain and you can rail against things or on the things that are within your control. And everyone has 
an environment that they have control over, whether they've got a small team or they have no team, but they interact regularly with a range of colleagues and, and, and make those changes, take that action. I, mean, I think ultimately that is imperative. And I've, I used to get quite frustrated in some of the larger firms I participated in where I remember being at one, I won't say which one, but a while ago, and yeah, we, we had a group of leadership that were viewed as talent that then been asked to lead on DEI. It was just a talking shop, but nothing actually really happened as a result of it. And it really depressed me that a bunch of supposedly talented leaders wasn't actually creating any real change in the environment. So yes, I think no matter what your role is, no matter what, where it is in the hierarchy and structure, I think each incremental thing that's made better, each small change adds up very quickly. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining me on the DEI Discussions podcast series. It's been brilliant learning from you. And it's no wonder that you have got so many awards that you're not even sure which one's which. So thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much. It's been a brilliant session. Cheers. <laughs>